Unfound Live is brought to you by its supporters at Patreon, PayPal, YouTube, and its gracious advertisers. On this episode, I give my insight into the sonic boom incident. I explain what's going on with the UFO stuff. I have a few doubts about Colby Richards. And I cover a bunch of other stuff, including my new podcasting course. I'm Ed Densel, and this is Unfound Live for June 5th, 2023. All right, everybody, it's time, 9 p.m. in the East, in the United States anyway. This is the live show for June 5th, 2023. We've made it. We've all made it to June 5th, 2023. Congratulations. Give yourself a round of applause. It has been um, pretty, somewhat pretty nice here in Clearwater Beach, Florida. Maybe we had a little rain last week and stuff, but uh, I know when I played uh, disc golf on Saturday morning very early, it was absolutely beautiful out. Perfect disc golf weather, and then it ended up, I think, raining in the afternoon a little bit, but overall, pretty nice, and uh, maybe we got a little rain last night or something, but it was pretty nice out there today, and um, we hope it's going to be a beautiful summer here. Just The summer is just getting kicked off here in Florida. Have a spectacular Live show prepared for all of you tonight. Put a lot of time. I don't know if you realize this, but it usually takes me uh, quite a bit of time, maybe a couple hours to put together um, these live shows. Always going through news. See what's out there. What do I want to talk about? What do I think you want to hear about? Maybe you want my opinions on things that are going on out there, major news. Of course, staying away from politics and religion and things like that. But um, so we got a nice mixture of topics tonight. Going to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, one of my other passions is, I, I don't know necessarily passion of aviation uh, necessarily, but of course, airplane crashes, airplane disappearances, weird plane kind of situations and things. And we did have one of those this past weekend with a jet that strayed into Washington, D.C. airspace. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that, um, given that even though I'm not a pilot and everything, I am a bit knowledgeable in that area. And I'll try to explain it to you, maybe in a uh, from a layman's point of view. 
although there are some good aviation channels here on YouTube, but maybe sometimes those people who are pilots or, you know, sometimes the language and everything, they just maybe take for granted sometimes that some of the terminology, everybody knows the terminology, but a lot of people do not. So we're going to talk about UFOs and sonic booms. Then we're going to talk about this guy who disappeared for like, uh, what was it, a week or eight days and then turned up alive. We're going to take a look at all of that and more tonight. So let's see here who is in here very early on. We got The Real coming to us from Australia. What's going on, The Real? Hello, Karen, Charlotte. I'm going to answer your uh, Chicago question tonight, Charlotte. I promise. Jasmine, Paula, Mark, nephew Charles. What's going on? How are you doing, uh, Charles? Good to see you. Would you believe it, Charles, uh, Charlie, that, uh, you know, uh, Brian Lorraine have had that RV, I don't know, for a month or over a month. I still have not seen it yet. <laughs> just as the schedules have just not worked out yet for me to go over and see where they have it parked and and things. So I, I've not seen it in person yet. Hello, Puma, Kathy, Lisa. The real saying, uh, missed the think tank due to food poisoning. Oh my gosh. What was it that got you the real? What was it that got you? And Marty, what's going on? Glenn. How you doing, Glenn? Yeah. Um, food poisoning. Yeah. And Mark says, I like the flight channel on YouTube. Mark says, okay, very good. Um, I'm a big fan of the Blanco Lirio channel, which doesn't sound like it, but it is an aviation channel uh, here on YouTube. And also I like Mentor Pilot because uh, he does uh, plane crash or plane you know, airplane incidents, really good videos every couple weeks with animation and everything. And uh, he gets even deeper than they do, like even with the Wikipedia articles and things. So, uh, I like those two aviation channels. Uh, Charles, I heard Brian just took it out for the first time this past week. And I, yeah, I think they went up to Crystal River, Charlie, is where they went. But we'll see uh, once when I can get a uh, a ride in it, uh, Charlie. We shall see. Uh, you know, um, Brian keeps making promises. The real, it was the Porterhouse Steak at a local pub. How I'm wondering how a porterhouse could give you food poisoning. You know, um, I have to tell you that steak is not something that I usually associate with food poisoning. I think what could it be the real that somebody who was preparing it just was sick and you got kind of the, got the virus through the food or something, you know, if it was hamburger but steaks, I would be surprised by that. Barbara says, made it. Well, congratulations, Barbara. I made it too. So congratulations to both of us, Barbara. And uh, the real you should know, uh, Charles, Charlie, my uh, nephew there in the chat, he is a, uh, a chef and everything. So he would know uh, a lot about food poisoning and things like that. So, all right. So we got a good show. Uh, of course, before we go any further... I want all of you to uh, give this video a thumbs up as you are watching. Whether you're watching in the replay, 
whether you are uh, watching live and if you are listening to this as a podcast out there in the podcast world and just getting the audio, why don't you give this podcast a nice thumbs up, five stars, whatever you think you got to do. I would appreciate it. Carrie says, listening as I can at work. Thank you, Carrie. What's going on, assistant Carrie? How are you? The re- Any meat can do it, really. It can be more to do with uh, clean the tea towels and things that are in the kitchen. Yeah, right. And Twinkle, what's going on, Twinkle? Good to see you. So give this uh, video a thumbs up. That helps us a lot. If you are not yet a subscriber, you know where the button is right down there in the bottom right-hand corner. And give this video a thumbs up. And if you'd like to go one step further, why don't you hit the join button below and get some things that other people do not become a supporter of this channel. And then if you'd like to monetarily support Unfound, uh, reward us for all of the great work we do here, you could hit the little square or rectangle with the dollar sign in it and graciously donate to what we do here. That is what they call the super chat. And maybe when you do that, if there's a comment or a question or something you would really like for me that sticks out, so to make sure I don't miss it, you can put it in that super chat donation. So I would appreciate that. So let me uh, go over here. Um, let me see here. All right. Let me pull the outline up. I did not even have it up. All right. So just, you know, as far as personal stuff going on really quickly, I I played some very nice disc golf this weekend. Not perfect. Probably could have scored at least a couple shots better, better missed a couple putts and everything. But uh, I came away from the round feeling very, very good. Haven't been practicing a lot lately, although I did go over to Cliff Stevens where the tournament this one round was and got in some play there last week just to make sure I kind of had an idea of what I was doing, even though I've played there many times, but I haven't played many times from the short tees. So I uh, had to look into that a little bit, but... um. Played really well. I came in sixth out of 39. So that is, I'll take that. Anytime a division has 39 people in it, I'm probably going to be happy finishing sixth. Uh, The guy who finished, who won the division, was three shots better than I was. So, you know, competitive. Can't complain. I have another one-rounder coming up this weekend. Going back to Coachman, if you don't remember Coachman, that's uh, the tournament I played where I got sick. Maybe you remember from about three weeks ago when I did this live show, I was hacking and everything else, not feeling good at all. Uh, That was that previous weekend I had played at Coachman. Well, there's going to be another one-rounder over there on Saturday, so I will be over there bright and early uh, to get in around and try to redeem myself over there. And I'm really looking forward to it. And then uh, June, what was that? That would be June 10th. And then June 17th, I actually have a two-round tournament over in Lakeland at a course where I've never played well. 
So there's that. So I'm looking to get a little revenge over there in Lakeland for a couple rounds. But like I said, that's like almost two weeks from now. And the tough thing is that uh, Duran Duran is going to be in town uh, that weekend. And I would kind of like to go if I could find somebody to go, but it's just too much of a day. I do want to play over at Lakeland. Um, I don't want to miss that. It's just too much in one day. I don't know how I would do all of it. So they're just, I'm just not going to be able to go in, in any way. I have, um, the Megadeth concert coming up, uh, in a few weeks. Anyway, uh, what's everybody saying? Carrie, after 2,300 hours, I am on vacation. Look at you, Carrie. Congratulations on that. Kathy, the real sorry to hear about that twinkle. Yeah, everybody's um you're bouncing back. The real is bouncing back. We're pretty tough over here. Yes, you Australians are. I agree. Marty says Megadeth. Yeah. The funny thing is, Marty, is that Megadeth is not even the headliner. The Misfits, and I'm not a fan of the Misfits hardly at all. Um, but the Misfits, their original lineup is actually headlining. Megadeth is like opening for them or something if that makes that doesn't that makes no sense to me uh at all but that's the way it's going but i'm thinking um you know who knows this might be my only chance to ever see megadeth uh together i'm a huge dave mustaine fan so i can't pass it up plus the tickets were only like 20 bucks so uh me and my buddy dana uh the guy that went with me to see the cult um, we're going to go see that too, uh, over there. They're playing at the amphitheater by the hard rock. So I'm looking forward to that. That'll be outside. It is weird. Twinkle. I agree with you. You just don't see Dave opening for Nanzig. That's true. I don't know. It just seems weird. Uh, so I, I guess I'm not going to get the full set list for Megadeth, unfortunately, but like I said, I can't pass up the opportunity. And plus the tickets are just the right price. What are you going to do? So those are some things that are going on uh, with me outside the world of Unfound. I have, a, you know, getting to the, the true crime part of this live show, and we'll be doing this for the rest of the time mostly. I have a very, very busy week uh, coming up from now through Friday. Um Tomorrow morning, just to let all of you know, and I have it in my notes here, so I got to get this right. And I, you know, if you want to tune in, you can. I'm doing an interview, meaning I'm be I'm not doing the interview. I'm being interviewed on a radio station in Montana tomorrow morning at 11 a.m. Eastern. So out there in California, that would be 8 a.m. and to go there, you go to the um, K. It's KLTZ, and to listen to it, and you go to live streaming, and there's two different live streams that you can pick there, and you need to pick the one that is the Big Country 1240. So yes, I'm going to be appearing on a kind. Of, I guess they play country music part of the time. I'm going to be appearing on a country music radio station. The horror. That's all I could say. 
the horror. What I do for this podcast, I will tell you, you know I must be really, 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 really committed to something when I agree to appear on a country music radio station. I'm here to tell you. Of course, I'm joking. But uh, it is something. There's one kind of music that I don't listen to, and that is like modern country music. Anything from like, I don't know, the 80s on, the 90s on, something like that. It's just, to me, like the worst music ever. I don't mind old country music like Johnny Paycheck or... Uh, Patsy Klein, but you start getting me into newer stuff, forget it. But I will p- be appearing on there, uh, kltz.com. You can go to the live streaming button. And like I said, when you find that, there'll be two different choices. I have a link already posted uh, in the group on the page. I'll be doing that again tomorrow morning for anybody. I'll do that on Twitter and everywhere else. So you can go to the link, but the link takes you to two choices. You have to pick the big country 1240. And that is going to be, uh, we're going to be talking about the disappearance of Barbara Cotton. Of course, that's a disappearance. We just covered like three weeks ago. You will remember that the, the story of her disappearance is very convoluted that allegedly she was out with this guy and then he saw her walk off in, into this park, never to be seen again. That's probably ringing some bells now from 1982. And I'm just going to be on there to talk about it. I can assure you that I'll have uh, my outline and some notes uh, for this t- uh, tomorrow morning. Um, so I'm excited to do that. It's been a while since I appeared on a radio show to talk about a disappearance. In fact, I have to say that the last time I was actually on a live, like, terrestrial radio show was five years ago in June of 2018 when it had to do with Tom Brown's disappearance when I appeared on that radio station with that radio host. Uh, It's been that long, but this is something that... Uh, my assistant, I think Eric, lined up. He lives up in North Dakota, and he contacted, uh, took it upon himself to contact some uh, local media, and uh, this is what's happened. So good job on Eric's part. I really appreciate him doing that. So I don't know how long it's going to go. Uh, they haven't sent me any questions or Anything like that, but you know, I don't mind that. Uh, I'm pretty good uh, speaking off the top of my head. I don't need anything necessarily prepared. The only reason, you know, we do interview outlines for the podcast is to make sure we don't miss anything. And I think that that also helps the guests out quite a bit. But me, myself, when I'm being interviewed, uh, you know, I don't need to really know what the questions are going to be beforehand. Uh, I just make sure I know the material and just take it from there. So that'll be tomorrow, 11 a.m. Eastern, kltz.com. And when you go there, you have to look for Big Country 1240 or live from the Big Country or something like that. Click on that and you'll be able to listen to it live And like I said, I don't know how long it's going to go. I have to admit, 
you know, they, uh, in the email that I got uh, the, the host names, it's like two hosts together. Uh, I forget their names right at this moment. Uh, I'll just be prepared to talk about Barbara and that will be the extent of my preparation. So there you go. Um, Marty sets a wild combo. That is weird. Uh, that's great. Ed. Thank you, Charlotte. 8 a.m. Yeah. In California, uh, Pacific too early for me. Okay. Gabby. Um, we'll try to, I don't know if we can record it. Probably. If I, um, I suppose I could use the audio recorder on my laptop or something to record it. Have to think about that tonight. Mark, I could possess some songs for you to request them to play. I'm not going to do that, Mark. Marty, uh -huh, gotta wear a cowboy ad for your interview. I do not. Charlotte, I love country music. By let all these rocks to uh, rock to twinkle. There are lots of country music fans. So hoping you have a big audience. Yeah, Marty, I'm a Johnny Cash fan, and of course, the outlaw country can't deny Willie Nelson. Yeah, I guess I'm okay with Johnny Cash, Twinkle, and he got it one piece at a time, Marty. All right, so we do. I know we do. I we have several country music fans. I knew know in the unfound audience because of those times where I've made a uh, derogatory reference uh, toward country music. I know it's very, very rare to ever talk about something like that in an episode, but when it's come up, maybe in a little bit of a funny way, sometimes I do get a couple people, you know, saying, Hey, watch it with the country music. And I know, although of course the other, um, at least band that gets the brunt of some jokes sometimes has been Nickelback. I haven't made a Nickelback joke in an episode for quite a long time. But I remember I made one one time and a few people contacted me saying they were so surprised about it. They like they were drinking something and they spit all over their keyboard or something. It was so unexpected and funny that, um, yeah, I'm not a big Nickelback fan and they're supposed to be like a rock band or something, not Nickelback fan at all. They, they should just be a country band. That would make it easier for me. Uh, and it didn't cost them a dime. Uh, yep. All right. So Marty and Twinkle having a conversation there. So that's uh, something I wanted to tell all of you about. But that's going on tomorrow. I don't know how long that's going to go. You know me. I'll just, you know me. I can just talk all day. Um, and then Wednesday, I have uh, a, a talk, not an interview, but a talk with uh, – a woman who's was it? I think it's her grandmother uh, who went missing in California some years ago, and we had talked a few years ago. Just didn't get together for an interview. I reached out to her recently. She says she thinks she's ready now, so we're gonna have a catch up conversation on that uh, on Wednesday morning, and then I'm doing an interview at noon on Wednesday. I'm very excited about that. That, um, you know, the disappearance that, you know, the thing is this disappearance, which I'll talk about at the end of this uh, live show, like I usually do. We're going back to 1976 this Friday, by the way. And then the interview that I'm doing on Wednesday, going to take you all the way back to 1972. 
for that disappearance. Very excited about that. And then going to be doing another interview on Friday afternoon. So I'll be doing the Friday. I'll do me doing the interview on Friday at the same time that Friday's episode's coming out. That's no big deal. But that uh, is another interview uh, that I've lined up in. But that uh, will take us back into the 21st century to 2004. So we've got a lot of things lined up here. And uh, very excited about it. And, you know, the interesting thing is another um, family member that I just talked to recently is another 1970s disappearance that I'm pretty sure we'll be covering, I don't know, maybe before June's over. Maybe that won't be till the beginning of July. So that's going to be another 1970s disappearance. And then another conversation that I had just recently on Saturday uh, is 1982. So we're, I'm telling you, over the ne- just be prepared like for over the, like the next month at least. We're going back. Don't know why that is. You know, uh, we've covered a lot of recent disappearances. Of course, Jason Landry Bowman as a couple of examples. But over the next month, we're going to be talking about uh, disappearances that are over 40 years old. Quite a few of them. We'll come up to about 2004 for one of them. But all the others are going to be like over 40 years old, over 50, well, at least one over 50 years old. And that's just how it works out sometimes. And, you know, it's nothing like on my part or Emily's part or even just the way it works out sometimes. It very well may be in like August that we cover a bunch of disappearances within the last five years or something. It's just so hard to say. But when we start getting into those older disappearances, in some ways it's tough. In some ways, it's not as tough as uh, newer disappearances. The one thing about disappearances that are old, when you start getting back in, let's just say the 90s, 80s, 70s, is that you start to get a little more perspective about things. Whereas when you have these more recent disappearances, they at least for here in Unfound World, um, you know, uh, the average age of a disappearance, I keep saying this, the average age of a disappearance we cover on the podcast continues to be in that, of course, the podcast itself, of course, keeps going into the future. So... Whereas all these disappearances that we've covered, they stay in the same year. So the average age of a disappearance on Unfound just keeps getting older and older and older. And so we're easily over the average of 20 years old for the average age of a disappearance covered on Unfound easily. But when you start getting to that like tipping point between it being – you know, more recent than the average in contrast to longer ago than the average, you start looking at perspective. Sometimes these disappearances that happen in the, the very close, like Bowman's or Jason Landry's, you know, you're right in the moment. These things, uh, even though there've been it maybe a couple years, it still feels like they happened yesterday. Of course, in the family, that always feels like it. But even for us, the strangers who don't know or didn't know Bowman or Jason Landry, any of these other people who we've 
covered who disappeared recently. You know, even for us, it can make it feel like very much more recent than it actually is. And, and I think sometimes that hurts being able to analyze these disappearances objectively, you know, without emotion, just trying to look at them as cold hearted, I guess you might say as possible. Whereas, and it, you know, and because of that, maybe our perspective gets distorted. Whereas you get to the older disappearances, 30 years old, 40 years old, 50 years old. Maybe for a lot of us, you know, we were very, very young. So maybe m- many of you weren't even born at the time. Some of these disappearances happened. Um, you can start to see, well, what went on after over the last so many years? What did these, what did these people do with their lives? How has the culture changed and, and everything? And I think that can really help us maybe more, be more objective. Of course, the bad thing about old disappearances, people die, people forget. There's not as many ways back then to, let's just say, track people as there are today. We know that. So there are pluses and minuses. And so we never should think that with these older disappearances, granted, um, the longer a disappearance goes unsolved, maybe it is less likely that it will get solved. But there are some positives about, you know, when you just come along and take a, um, you know, a, uh, you know, objective look. Maybe at a disappearance that we, the public, have never heard of before. Of course, the family knows about it, but we don't. We come in as objective people. We take a look at it. It's 50 years ago. We can lend a, a different perspective um, to that. Uh, then might not be obvious for all these people who have lived with it since the time that the disappearance happened. So uh, it's going to be very interesting for me as the host to see how things transpire over the next month as we go to 1976 and then 1972. And then we're going to come up to 2004. And then I think we're going to go probably to 19, um, you know, it's just hard to say, uh, you know, 1975 or something like that. And, you know, bop, bebop around like that, newer, you know, uh, old, 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 then newer, then old, old, old again. It's going to be very interesting for me. What's everybody saying here? Um, hello, Lisa Joe. How are you doing? A former guest uh, actually for the Barber Cotton Disappearance. Lisa Joe is in the chat tonight. And Lisa Joe, of course, I, you already know about my appearance. I gave them your contact information. I don't know if they've contacted you or not. But um, that will be 11 a.m. Eastern time tomorrow uh, where I will be appearing uh, live 1240. A-M-K-L-T-Z in Montana. Um, Deborah says, sorry I'm late. Old age kicking my butt. I forget. That's no problem, Deborah. What's going on, fishing? Light says, what about Madison Scott? I wonder who tipped off the RCMP or did they just have the person of interest on the radar? Light, I'm not going to get into any of that because that's not, you know, that's just a, a bunch of speculation and everything else. And I've already checked. There is no news no factual news since uh, when her remains were discovered. And I talked about it last week. So 
Uh, I, I really, for now, I've said all I really can say about Madison Scott simply because I talked about it all last week and no facts have changed since last week. Um, all right, Lisa Joe, you'll be tuning in. Great. All right, let's go to the Lola Catherine Fry poll. Um, felt really good. I, I didn't, like I said in the episode, I really didn't plan. And uh, and I should say, Light, if you missed, I, I can't remember if you were in the chat last week and caught last week's show. Everything that I'm prepared to say about Madison Scott's disappearance was on the live show last week, and I, I talked about it for quite a while. You can, of course, find uh, that live show from last week on the on this YouTube channel if you'd like to check that out. I can't remember exactly where in the live show that actually started, but I really talked about it for a while if you want to hear all my thoughts because the thoughts that I have today are the same as last week because nothing's changed. Um, getting back to Lola Catherine, Catherine Fry, was really not ready to do a revisited episode, but some things went on last week. As I explained, uh, the interview that I'm going to do this Wednesday was supposed to take place last week. Some things came up that was supposed to be last Friday's episode. So last Friday's episode actually isn't even going to be this Friday's episode. It's actually going to be next Friday's episode. That's just the way things work out sometimes. And then me getting, uh, I'm going to talk about my uh, teachable course. I'm working on that some, a lot of things put together. I'm hoping, you know, I don't mind um, going back and revisiting these, these disappearances that we covered on early on in Unfound's existence. Uh, on the other hand, um, I have it in my mind when I want them to come out. And so, but then sometimes things just get in the way of my plan. You know, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face or something like Mike Tyson said. So uh, really I, I, I'm only prepared to do one revisitation episode this entire summer. So I'm hoping I don't have to um, once again, do another one for, you know, later this summer or something. I'm hoping we can just have all new disappearances and the next revisitation maybe won't happen till October or something like that. Not that I'm necessarily trying to avoid them. I think it's important that, um, all of these, you know, episodes from early on when there weren't as many listeners and everything else, New perspective, more listeners, more coverage, and of course Lola's disappearance hasn't gotten a lot of coverage anywhere except on Unfound. So um, I don't mind doing it, but this really is a podcast where we cover, you know, a new. We try to cover as many disappearances that have not been covered before as as much as we can. So just the kind of way it worked out. It was it was interesting going back and listening to that interview I did with Darlene back at the time. It's one of those interviews. I think it's perfectly fine. Um, surely, though, if uh, we're to interview Darlene again, probably that interview would go a lot differently and probably a lot longer, too. I was really surprised when I decided to pick that one that, wow, that interview is not as long as I thought it was way it works out but uh as usual there was a uh, a poll in the um that was conducted in the discussion group 
And the discussion group uh, decided that like 75% of the people stay, uh, said that there was uh, Lola did not overdose, but that John did cause her disappearance. Now, what was interesting in the think tank, and if you'd like to be part of the think tank, all you have to do is sign up at patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. Sign up at the $12 a month level or above. Of course, you get a lot of other things at that level. But to get into the think tank, that's what you will have to do. And uh, we've been doing that since about the beginning of 2019. Everybody who is a part of it loves it. It's like a little secret club, I guess you might say. And uh, we get down really deep, deep into the weeds on these disappearances. Do a lot of theorizing and things that, of course, you do not hear on the podcast. It's not like I release, reveal more facts in the think tank or anything like that. Everything you need to know about disappearance is in the episode every Friday. But in the think tank, we look at those facts and try to determine, you know, what makes sense, what doesn't make sense. I ask a lot of questions ask a lot of why questions and how questions of the members. And then at the end, eventually we get, everybody gets to voice their opinions on what actually happened to that missing person. So in the think tank, if you can believe it, we had eight members in there uh, on uh, yesterday evening, which is, you know, usually we have between like eight and 11 or 12, somewhere in there. And we had eight members and we had four different theories. So it was a little bit different than how the discussion group decided uh, what happened to Lola. In fact, even one person even really did go the the route that, you know, it's, it's possible that um, John didn't have anything to do with her disappearance. And it was, it was a doctor or somebody who was really worried about what Lola was going to say during this trial. So eight people, four different theories. So we had no consensus whatsoever. In the uh, in the um, think tank, which is kind of rare, and then for uh, me personally, as I write the blog, all you have to do is pay two dollars a month to Patreon to read what I write there, and I I decided that John did something. It's just uh, you know a little unclear to me, and. The way I look at Lola's disappearance is that, you know, I, I'm not really convinced the drugs had anything to do with her disappearance at all. If she, had, you know, if she was doing drugs in her life, it's very sad. Uh, you know, I wish she hadn't, didn't start doing that. But the way I look at it, I'm not really convinced the drugs had anything to do with this disappearance at all. Would it? So I, I think in a way. This disappearance is very straightforward when you think about John and his connection to Lola and things that were going on there. The hard part to understand is, though, why is their car missing? Because when you look at what, what I call the man said types of disappearances, where stereotypically a guy says, yeah, my wife uh, went out the front door and she got into a white truck and took off and I never saw her again. We know what we think of those types of stories, and that's a, a generic version of the man-said type of disappearance. Lola's is a the man-said type of disappearance, mainly because John says, yeah, she was at my place. I went to work. 
I came back. She and her car were gone. No context of why she was there, what they talked about that morning, nothing. But what usually is not contained in the man said type of disappearance is a car being missing. Usually cars or vans or whatever are left behind. Her car, her van, her sports car, her Corvette, her you know SUV or whatever are usually still there or, or something. Um, parked in the driveway or in the garage or at her work or wherever else. Lola's is gone. So it's unique in that way. And you have to think about if it's a Mansett type of disappearance, what makes it unique? Why, if this is the Mansett and John did something, why did he make the car disappear too? So I leave that all for you uh, to think about, as I usually do. Uh, that's why I always say I leave the public theorizing up to you. Uh, Mark says, glad you revisited Catherine Fry. That's the episode that introduced me to Unfound. Is it, Mark? Well, that would make sense, Mark, in Indy. That makes all the sense in the world. Uh, fishing, thank you for understanding. Lisa Joes, I've been meaning to sign up. Would love to have you there uh, at Patreon. Marty says, Marty is a member of the Think Tank. It was a wild discussion. It was. It certainly went in um, um, It went in some directions that I didn't expect. Light says, I watched last week's show. You only touched in basics. One show, uh, not multiples. I don't know what that means. Uh, I don't know. The basics are just, yeah, the, um, just covering the news as it was written at the time, Light. Um, as I stated back then, I back, uh, I don't know, five years ago, I attempted to cover Madison's disappearance as a regular episode, and her mother wasn't up for it. So, um, you know, when you talk about basics, I think what you're talking about uh, are just the general facts. She was there, and then she wasn't there, and the searches that were done and everything else. So... You know, I don't want us to do coffee. I agree with you. I don't think that party ever happened. It is possible. But if I had to guess, it was just gossip or a cover story. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, yeah, you're probably right. Uh, you very well could be right, coffee. All right, moving on. Let's get to some uh disappearance news and i want to start with this missing man being found texas authorities on friday found colby richards a husband and father of two exactly one week after he went missing from his home in spring texas richards 31 years old woke up early on may 26th and disappeared from home without his phone or wallet according to his family had been organizing search efforts to, for a week to help find him. Hallelujah and praise the Lord, Colby has been found alive. We don't have details yet, but we are overjoyed at the positive outcome. We will share what we can when we can. His family wrote in a Friday afternoon Facebook post. The Montgomery County Sheriff's Office confirmed Friday that Richards was found safe walking in the area of Research Forest and Kuykendall, the Woodlands. The Woodlands is actually a place in Texas, an actual town. Mr. Richards is being evaluated by the Montgomery County uh, Health Department medics and the Montgomery County Sheriff's Office Mental Health Unit, the Sheriff's Office wrote, 
Detectives will eventually speak with Colby Richards about the circumstances surrounding his disappearance. However, it will be some time before he is interviewed. The Montgomery County Sheriff's Office reports Colby Richards was found safe in the woodlands in the area of Research Forest Drive and Kikendell Road, a new release uh, stated. Um, yeah, all right. But here's the original story, if you didn't know about this. The family of a missing Texas father are calling on the public to help find him after he disappeared from his home early morning, leaving behind his phone and wallet. Montgomery County Sheriff's Office posted a missing persons flyer to Facebook for Colby Richards, 31, who vanished from his home in spring north of Houston around 5 a.m. on May 26th. Colby's wife told the MCSO that Richards woke up at 5 a.m. as he usually did for work, but never returned to the bedroom to get ready, Fox News reports. The wife noticed that the backyard gate was open, but Richards was nowhere to be found. His wife reported him missing on May 26th. An MS, MCSO, uh, Montgomery County Sheriff's Office, deployed search teams. They only found Richards' water bottle on a trail behind their home. Richards, a father of two, works at an engineering firm. His cousin, Allison Fox, told Fox News. She said co-workers noticed that Richards would zone out as his, at his computer. I talked to a couple of his friends, and I talked to a supervisor, and they basically said he seemed tired. Granted, he got small kids at home. Sleep is usually pretty precious when you have little ones at home. That's probably all it was. Meanwhile, the family set up a GoFundMe page to collect funds that will aid in search efforts for Roberts or for Richards. A Facebook page called Help Us Find Colby Richards was also created. A post on the page Friday morning, June 2nd, says the family and search teams are hoping to widen the net of search as most of the area around Richards' home have been searched. And then once again, to go back to it, uh, on Friday, so this is just three days ago, uh, he was found in Spring, Texas. And he was found he was found safe walking in the area of Research Forest and Kikendale, the woodlands. All right. So, you know, I had read about this. I'd known about this disappearance. Uh, from the time it happened. In fact, I might have even, you know, uh, if you you know, follow, if you're on Facebook, you know I post about um, recent disappearances, uh, at least two a day from Sunday through Thursday of every week. I've been doing that for a very, very long time. And I believe this is one of those that I had posted uh, originally when it happened. And you have to admit, reading the original, why do I keep <laughs> bumping that thing um didn't look good these um when you read something like this your wallet phone left behind a person is out of his regular routine he gets out and walks or jogs or whatever in the morning it's usually a very bad sign i think that we have to be surprised that he was found alive i don't know what the percentages are but I think all of us know enough about disappearances to know that if a person is missing for like a week, uh, that that's usually not a very good sign. Once again, especially if it's an adult who went off by his or herself, it wasn't a, an allegation that it's like a teenager who ran away or something like that. Much worse circumstances when you hear about an adult going away being missing for a week than it is for a teenager. 
So what are we supposed to think about this? Now, you should know if you're wondering where he lived and where he was found. Generally, there are about eight miles between them. There is a distance of about eight miles. I didn't, you know, I just got on where the spring, Texas, where's the woodlands, Texas. And so it may be a little more less than that. It may be a little more than that, depending on the exact locations of where he lived and where that intersection was, but approximately eight miles. So where was he all the time this time? Um, I think there are a few things that we have to remember when looking at something like this. First of all, we have to remember, I think more and more we are realizing that there are a lot of people out there kind of living on the edge. And you can Google story after story after story. And, uh, you know, and I realize in talking about this, I may even be talking about people who are in this chat tonight, who are watching this live or who are listening to this. And I feel for all of you. But we realize there are a lot of people out there who are taking drugs that keep their mental health in check. Let's just put it like that. Now, I will tell you personally, I've never had to do anything like that. Um, But we know there are millions and millions, and I'll just speak for my country, millions and millions of Americans who do do that. And I think more and more, as more and more people seem to be using these things, and I'm perfectly open to the idea that a lot of people out there are over-medicated, certainly willing to believe that. But we more and more, as more people use these, more and more we realize that in not taking this medication like they should or the dosage is wrong or it needs tweaked or anything, it just takes a little motion this way or that way. You know, these people seem to be walking on a very thin line and, um, you know, if things aren't just right, Things can happen. That doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be suicidal. It doesn't mean they're going to go on a killing rampage or anything like that. Um, But it would mean that they don't act like themselves. They make choices that they usually wouldn't make. And so I, the feeling that I get as a 52 year old American is there's just a lot of people. They're walking a very, very thin line when it comes to things like this. So this is the first thing that comes to mind here. Now, he may not have even been on that, on any of those. But then I'm thinking, you know, what are these people saying? You know, I don't know what to make of this. Sometimes this is confirmation bias that's going on. Somebody goes missing and then all his coworkers start saying, well, you know what? He really was acting strangely. He really was staring at his computer screen. I don't know what to make of all that. Uh, There's just too many instances of studies that have been done that it's just, you know, confirmation bias is just too likely. And so I'm not going to get crazy about that. But I will say that, you know, he's a father. If he does have young children, I've never been a parent, but sometimes sleep can be an issue. This certainly could cause somebody to act like this. And then I've heard stories, you know, sleep is another. Once again, for me personally, 
except for like when I worked at 7-Eleven from like July of 1998 until April of 99. I had a lot of sleeping problems when I had that job because of a lot of things that were going on there. Other than that time of my life, I've never had any sleeping issues. I, I really, right here on this live show, I probably could go to sleep in 10 minutes if if I really had to, probably. That's just the way I am. But for people who aren't getting enough sleep, maybe they're taking Ambien and things. And I've heard how those kind of drugs, even though they are over-the-counter and they're supposed to be safe, who knows how those are going to affect certain people. So I'm open to all of that. And I'm certainly glad that this guy was found alive. What's hard to understand, though, is that he was eight miles away and it's over a week later and it doesn't seem like he had any money with him and he didn't have his phone with him. So no matter how healthy you are, what are you doing for seven days? None of us would want to be put out on the street for seven days without a wallet, without any money or anything else and expect to, I'm not saying you can't survive, but you know, what was he doing? What well, he wasn't eating and, 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 and things, uh, you don't want to go without food for a week. You know, you don't want to do that. So I still have some questions here. I'm not here to be conspiracy theory guy. I'm not here to undermine any of this. And I'm, I'm certainly happy for his family. That he's still alive, but are we going to actually find out what his story is of what he says he was doing for these seven days? Can he even remember? No. Because I will tell you that, just to be honest, how is this really any different than Sherry Papini going missing? Who went out for a jog Never came back. I think she was missing for more than seven days, but still. And if that had nothing to do with drugs or anything else, it had everything to do is that she just didn't want to be a, a parent for a while. She wanted to go back to being a single woman, went back to an ex-boyfriend and everything like that. So how did this guy get eight miles away? Obviously, it was very well publicized in the area. What was he doing? Walking through the woods and... So I'm a bit, I ha, I can't help but be, I, like I've learned in doing this podcast for almost seven years now, it pays to be cynical. And I hope it is a very straightforward story that he just was wandering around being homeless. Maybe somebody out there, you know, he, he forgot who he was for a while and he was given some food, like somebody thought he was homeless or he was begging on the street, or maybe somehow he forgot who he was and he went to, is there a, some sort of, sort of soup kitchen or something like that in, in where he lived or where he ended up? I have no idea. But these are questions that need to be asked of him. But the problem is, I don't know if, We'll ever find out what exactly was going on. Do we deserve to? Maybe not. But 
I know for myself, hearing his story would certainly help me in analyzing disappearances that are kind of like his and figuring out how people could survive on the street for a few days, for a week, without any money or anything else. But I just don't know if we're going to get that. But at this point, I just have to be honest. I can't rule out the idea that, you know, you know, are we sure he just didn't have some other woman in his life or something? Or maybe even another, maybe a man in his life. I really don't care either way. Have to be open to that. Of course, this still isn't as crazy as that story we heard from some years ago that the Canadian who came down to New Hampshire who to go skiing, he went missing, and he was found in California. We still don't know how that all happened, and we never will. We didn't get the person's name or anything else. Um, maybe I should look that up. I wonder if anybody ever did um, figure out who that guy was. And he said, yo, yeah, I lost my mind or – or something, and yeah, and he, he somehow he got the whole way across the United States. It sounds fishy to me. Uh, so for this guy, married, couple children, goes out in the morning, and he leaves. You know, the, the wife says, "Well, he left the gate open. That's why I was suspicious." How did he survive? Well, you know, what's going on here? You know, I, I think what I'm also saying is he have, if he had been found alive and he was out in the middle of nowhere, and let's just say some hunters or somebody found him and he was lying, you know, amongst some leaves and was on the verge of death and everything, that's a little bit different. But being that he was just walking through this, I guess, a neighborhood, the cross streets, and just kind of walking along as if nothing was wrong, I, I, like I said, it pays in the job that I do to be cynical. So that's what I have to say about this guy. Um, you know, I'm not here to rain on anybody's parade. Uh, no matter what he was doing, I'm, I'm happy he was alive. But I really wish the public could get the truth about these things. I think it does, you know, as much as it may sound like, well, you just want to do that because you want the information and everything. I really believe in knowing what actually happened in these situations actually helps us with disappearances. I think it also helps us to understand mental health if that is what happened here. <clears throat> I think this would help us for people out there who maybe are struggling with their own mental health or they're in a relationship with somebody who has you know, could possibly just kind of walk off or something, knowing what was going through Colby Richard's head before he did this and what was going through his head during the time that he was gone and why he couldn't find his way home and everything certainly could help a lot of families out there. You know, this isn't trying to be sensational and I just want to dig into somebody's personal life. This could be really helpful information, but I doubt we'll get it. <coughs> um let me see uh what everybody is saying here uh the real even the vehicles are a cliche in the man said scenarios the woman has always taken off in a white van or pickup truck 
never a Chrysler or a Plymouth or something. Yeah, they never name like the the brand name or anything. That's true, real. We're going back to uh, Lola Catherine Fry. Uh, Mark says street is pronounced Kirkendall, although you'd never get that from the spelling of it. Thank you, Mark. I knew I messed it up. I kind of just knew I messed it up without really knowing that I messed it up, Mark. And everything I saw. Sorry I'm late, Ed. You don't have to apologize, everything. I'm the only person who's not allowed to be late. Thank you. Um, thank you, Charlotte. Kathy raises a lot of questions regarding how we survive from the street without money. It does. <coughs> it does. And, uh, like I said, I mean, going back to Sherry Papini, as soon as she said that she was picked up by two women, and I don't care what their ethnicity was, their race was, or anything else, just knowing that she said that she was picked up too by two women, just like, I said, this can't be true. Now, we don't have that story yet out of Colby Richards, but... Uh, if we do get any story about any of this, um, I'll certainly be scrutinizing it. Uh, Rockford, unlike Papini, I don't believe he made up a story that implicated others in a crime. Therefore, I'm fine with chalking that up to domestic stuff and calling it a day. Well, we just don't know what his story is yet, Rockford, um, when we may never know. Um, you know, I don't remember how quickly it came out when Sherry Papini did reappear, how quickly it got out into the public of what her story was. We now know, of course, it was all BS. I don't remember how quickly that all that got out there. Um, somebody would have to go check that. So I'm willing to be patient at least a little bit, but it also, on the other hand, it wouldn't surprise me at all. A month from now, there's not one more detail to any of this. So, um, you know, we just don't, you know, Rockford, I guess what we're saying is, yeah, we just don't know what he said. It very well may be he says he got picked up by a biker gang. Either way, I don't know if we would know that at this point or not. So, Colby Richards, happy that you're alive, uh, but suspicious on the details. All right, let's. Uh, I need to answer some questions. Some people took uh, some time out to ask me some questions before the show got started tonight, so I'm going to make sure that I answer them. So I'm going to answer both of them right now, two in a row. Judy, through the discussion group, asked me, if you were to listen to any other true crime podcast, what would it be? Interested in knowing what you consider a good true crime uh, podcast is? <coughs> well... Uh, Judy, um, you know, I really don't listen to hardly any other true crime podcasts at all. So I'm probably the last person you should ask regarding any of that. Um, why don't I do that? Really, it's just because, um, when I'm not working on unfound podcast, I really don't do any true crime stuff. I really don't. Um, I've been, of course, in my spare time, I've been working on my teachable course, doing some disc golfing. I've been um, working on a singing class. I've been taking singing lessons online uh, for a lot of different reasons. I'm hel- I'm finding that working on my voice is helping me with the podcast and all the talking I do between this live show, recording the podcast, talking to the people on the phone, and everything. 
And even though I have a very strong voice, I've never had laryngitis in my life. Sometimes my voice does feel a little worn out. So I thought, you know what? I'd like to be able to sing like Rob Helford from Judas Priest. And I think by taking a singing class is going to strengthen my voice for the work that I do. So I've been taking the singing class online, the singing course since about January or February. So I do that in my spare time that, that takes some time. So I would be the last person to ask uh, regarding that, just to, just to be honest. Uh, I will tell you that the only other true crime podcast in which I've listened to every episode are the, is the one that my assistant Carrie and listener uh, and a listener are doing together. It's called Missing Chapters, so you could check that out. It's on Spotify, iTunes, everywhere. And then the other one is the Fine Jody True Crime Podcast, which is several, several episodes, I think 30-some episodes. And I've listened to every one of those, and of course, I recommend that, that one as well. Other than that, I can't give you any recommendations. I, of course, can maybe talk a little bit about YouTube. I think John Lorden does good work. But I have to admit, I don't watch a lot of what he does. Once again, not because I don't like John. I think John's a good guy. It's just when I'm not working on Unfound, it's just I go and, and do other things. It's no different than anybody else maybe in any other profession, you know, like a pilot or anything else. I'm a pilot. Pilots love flying and everything else. But once they land on the ground... It's not then that they go watch the Mayday television series about plane crashes or they watch documentaries about planes or something on YouTube. Probably they go play golf. They probably go spend time with their family and things like that. That's the way it is for me. Um, the other question I got is from Charlotte, who uh, – hello, Charlotte. She asked me about the band Chicago. And she noted uh, about how one of their founding members, Terry Kath, uh, ended up shooting himself seemingly accidentally um, and, and killing himself. And I, I have to admit, Charlotte, that I think I kind of knew that. Um, but as far as overall about my attitude toward the band Chicago, not in general. You have to remember there's a lot of different iterations of Chicago. Uh, of course, there's like the 25 or 6 to 4 Chicago, like late 60s, early 70s. And then they kind of became like a soft rock elevator music type of band type of thing. And But when I came to know Chicago, of course, they originally know as I think the Chicago Transit Authority, um, it was on the... It was like seventh and eighth grade. Um, and so it was like hard habit to break, stay the night. So that like the, the, like the Peter Cetera before he then went off on his own and, um, you know, sang that song for Karate Kid 2 and all that. Uh, you know, next time I fall in love, that duet and all that. So that is my Chicago and I don't mind it. Um Generally not the biggest fan of that type of music, but given that that time in my life, very formative years of like 1983, 1984, uh, 13, 14 years old, 
I remember roller skating to hard habit to break and stay the night, whatever that album was. So it does hold a special place in my heart. Um, you know, 25 or six to four is a fantastic song. Uh, Saturday in the park. Think it was the 4th of July. That's a fantastic song too. But once again, it's more like songs. It's really not the band. Whereas when I say I'm an Iron Maiden fan, I'm a band fan. When I'm a Judas Peace fan, I'm a Judas Priest fan. With Chicago, it's just particular songs. But I certainly have nothing against them. And uh, like I said, uh, when I hear like, like Hard Habit to Break, Stay the Night, and there was a couple other songs that were popular from that album at that time, 83, 84, it takes me right back to being like in seventh and eighth grade and roller skating at the Valerina in North Apollo. Like like that. And I could smell it. I can feel it. I can hear the, the skates on the wooden floor and everything. It's spectacular. Um, let's see here. <clears throat> Coffee says, what is it about a year before the truth on the Sherry Papini disappearance? It was several years as far as the truth, Coffee, but I think regarding what her story was, it came out fairly quickly. I just don't know what quickly means, but it took several years. I mean, I think everybody was suspicious from the beginning, but um, the truth, what was it, five years or something? Marty, I don't think we will ever know, to be honest, regarding Colby Richards. Okay, Angie. Hello, Angie from Tennessee. Good to see you. Lisa Joe, um, that's pretty universal amongst podcast creators. Is it? I really don't know as far as not listening. I, I don't know. Uh, you know, my impression, Lisa and Joe, is that other podcasters certainly do know way more about other podcasts than I do. Why that is. Um, luck goes into running your own show. It does. When you're doing all the interviewing and tracking people down, of course, Emily does that too, and editing and marketing and everything. Yeah. Whereas a lot of other podcasters, maybe many of you don't realize that, but I am really, 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 even though I don't listen to these other shows, I do kind of keep in an idea what kind of is going on behind the scenes. I'm telling you, I'm one of the rare, rare podcasters that does everything himself. Rare, rare, rare. Uh, Rock for totally fair Pepini analogy, Coffee and Ed. I should have written, unless the guy comes up with a Pepini story. Well, if he does, uh, we'll be all over it, I'm sure, Rockford. Uh, Marty, I want to hear you hit the Mustaine notes soon. Well, the Dave Mustaine notes aren't very hard to hit, Marty. They aren't very high. It's when I start hitting the Rob Helford and uh, Bruce Dickinson notes. Uh, then I'm going to be very impressed with myself. And I can tell you, even since January, my voice has certainly changed when it comes to singing my range and everything. Um, Marty, that should be in the next live. No, I'm not singing for you. Not yet. No way. Uh, Mark, 25 or 6 to 4. One of your favorite songs. That's interesting, Mark. Uh, it is great. Chicago with Peter Sateri was lead singer. That's right. Uh, it's an amazing song, Mark. Uh, Charlotte says, I love Chicago. Mark. Chicago Transit Authority, Volume 1 and Volume 2, also an awesome double. I still have a vinyl copy of that. That is, um, that's cool. Um, 
like I said, probably in the end, too many horns and things like that. Uh, Rockford, I can't think of the band Chicago anymore without thinking of Larry David. Movie Clear History, those who have seen it will get it. Never saw it. The Real, I pretty much had skates permanently attached to my feet for the whole 1980s. That's funny, uh, The Real. Uh, I did a lot of roller skating, 7th, 8th, into ninth grade, and I don't think I've been roller skating since. Marty, you're more of a metalhead than easy listening. I'm with you. I can respect the music. Uh, like I said, the only type of music that I don't touch is like modern country. Anything, like I said, you start getting into when, you know, I don't know. Like I said, late 80s, early 90s. I, I just feel all that music, music to be so contrived. So um, corporate driven, so focus group driven and everything. Keep me out of it. So what's going on? A lot going on, Chopper. Uh, Hello, Sarah. Good to see you. And Lisa's laughing. Okay. So I got those questions out of the way. Let's talk about UFOs. What do you say? Uh, an Air Force veteran, this is just recent news within like the last 48 hours. An Air Force veteran and former member of the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency is coming forward with information what he claims are extraterrestrial craft recovered and kept secret by the U.S. government. Blurry videos of unidentified flying objects have been long been a staple of those looking for evidence that stories of UFOs may not be conspiracy theories. In recent years, the government has taken a more vocal role in investigating such sightings, with Congress forming an official U.S. government Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force, recently remained, renamed to the All-Domain Anomaly Resolution Office. That's nice. At the same time, NASA and other government agencies have repeatedly said, repeatedly said there's no credible evidence of extraterrestrial activity on Earth, attributing most sightings to natural phenomenon or human-made objects. Now, Air Force veteran and former task force member David Grush, G-R-U-S-C-H, is formally blowing the whistle on secrets he said no one has ever shared publicly before. Grush spoke exclusively to award-winning investigative journalist Ross Colthart, reporting for News Nation. Colthart has spent years reporting on the subject of UFOs, in his roles within the U.S. defense establishment, 36-year-old Grush said he was trusted with, some, trusted with some of the government's most intimate secrets. In his time at the UAP task force, Grush said the group was refused access to a crash retrieval program. These are retrieving non-human origin technical vehicles, call it spacecraft, if you will, non-human exotic origin vehicles that have either landed or crashed, Grush said. According to Grush, that includes spacecraft from a number of other species. I thought it was totally nuts, and I thought at first I was being deceived. It was a ruse, Grush told Colthart. People started to confide in me, approach me. I have plenty of senior former intelligence officers that came to me, many of which I knew almost my whole career, that confided in me that were part of the program. Um, I'm just going to tell you right off, I don't believe any of this. <laughs> Of course, I am a skeptic. Um, I am a skeptic. Uh, But here's the way that I look at something like this. Uh, What has, of course, UFOs have been a big topic over the last five, seven years. Uh, Many of you have probably seen this video from years ago, even though it just came out within the last five years that 
some naval aviators in their F-18s or whatever they were, tracked some things, things they couldn't understand, and um, been a lot of comments and everything else. And I'm here to tell you, I, um, I doubt all of it. Of course, the first thing that comes to mind for me is that are we really supposed to, to trust a guy who is um, probably, you know, not supposed to be saying these things in the first place? Are we really supposed to? Surely this guy took an oath or something in being in a p- certain positions in the government that he's not supposed to talk about this stuff, even if it's real. And here he is doing this. This always makes me suspicious. And given that, um, you know, just from my experience, I mean, we all know this regarding disappearances. We know how tight-lift police are on disappearances. We know that. Many of us have tried to get information on disappearances, just the paperwork. Even, you know, of course, some people believe that some missing people have been beamed up to UFOs. Well, let's just say for all of the people where it's pretty obvious they weren't beamed up by UFOs. We know how hard it is to get paperwork for that. Whether the disappearance happened last year or in 1978. And here, though, on the other hand, we have this guy who just comes out and says, oh, yeah, we got all this stuff going on. This is why I don't believe him a second. I, You know, in this day of... you know, maybe I'm just hypersensitive this sensitive to this because of what I do. You know, because I do a podcast, it gets over a million downloads a year. Because of the discussion group, because of the website, because of the Facebook page, because of all this and social media and everything else. Um, I am very aware of how many people out there lust for attention. And the internet has not made it. And and I think, you know, the way I look at human nature, this is just part of human nature. And the internet has exposed it even more. It's always existed. People have, since the beginning of time, have always been doing stupid things, saying things and everything else to get attention. The internet has just made it possible for anybody to say anything at any time and get attention. And sometimes that attention can come with a lot of money and everything else. This is something that I can't ignore for something like this. We just have to keep in mind, this guy, whether it's real or not, whether it's just technology that we've actually invented and everything, whatever the situation would be, He's not supposed to be talking about it. All right. In addition, he's not helping the situation by coming forward, saying all this stuff, but he readily admits he's never seen it himself. So what I think about this is either he's just, you know, he is certainly, he's either just outright lying for the attention or this was kind of a test. There may be people who knew this guy and knew he was a little off his rocker or something. Maybe they thought he couldn't be trusted. 
Well, we're going to find out. We're going to tell him, you know what? We got some UFO stuff, man. Oh, yeah. It's crazy. This tech, man. It's like transporters and laser beams and phasers and stuff that hovers, you know, without any propulsion. Oh, it's crazy, man. You wouldn't believe it. Of course, they're lying. Why? Because they know this guy can't keep his mouth shut. So this also uh, occurs to me. You know, disinformation is a way to test people's integrity. You know, and if the, there is a very good, the next Star Trek, the next generation episode called The Defector, which covers this topic spectacularly. James, my man, uh, James Sloyne is the actor who plays the Romulan. I don't want to give it away too much, but he is the defector. He's a Romulan. He defects from the Romulan Empire to the Federation to tell them that the Romulans are building the secret base and the, the Enterprise has to go check it out. So they fly into the neutral zone. Of course, that's dangerous. And I'm not going to give the rest of it. But you find out, you know, I guess I'm going to have to make my point. I'm going to have to ruin the end for everybody. But you find out that they were giving this guy disinformation because they didn't trust them. And they wanted to see, are we right about this? We don't think we can trust them. So we're going to make up some stuff and see what he does with it. Well, what did he do? He defected and told the Federation about it. And of course, it was all crap. But it put the Enterprise, Captain Picard, and crew in a very, very difficult situation because of it. And it wasn't until the end that James Sloyne's character figured out they lied to him because he had just not been trusted. This is what comes to my mind when I think about this. He's not supposed to be talking about this stuff. So we already know he's a blabbermouth. We already know he's a blabbermouth. Okay. So once again, the guy loves attention. Disinformation is a way to test people's integrity. We also have to remember this is that when it comes to whatever is going on up there, that these things that we carry around with us every day, these phones, just maybe not 30 years ago, but 40 years ago, if you'd have been carrying one of these things around in which it could video, it could take pictures, you could communicate with people, uh, anywhere in the world, you could access encyclopedias and everything else and, and do anything you basically want when, you know, check your health and it has, uh, you know, it's, it has a compass and all this other stuff that these things do. If you would have showed this thing right here that I'm standing holding in my hand, which is, uh, what this is, uh, what kind of phone is this now? I forget what it is now, but it's a T-Mobile service, but it's very advanced, of course, Android phone. If you would have shown this to somebody anytime in the 1980s, people would have looked at you and said, only an alien could have invented that. Well, this, is, this is alien technology in the 1980s. Even though at the time, as we learned from like a movie like War Games, the internet in a way kind of did exist in the 1980s. You could access computer to computer in the 1980s. 
in all of these things. Likewise, uh, when the stealth fighter, although technically it wasn't a fighter, the F1, uh, F-117, um, you know, that was used, really it came to prominence in the first Iraq war. If you'd have shown that plane to the public, I don't know, just a couple years before it became obvious that it was a thing, everybody would have said, there's no way that can fly. That, that looks like alien technology. Of course, it's not. And surely, if that plane would have been shown to military people during the Vietnam War in the 1960s or the Korean War in the 1950s, and certainly going back to World War II in the 1940s, and they seen that plane, they would have said, oh, that, must, that thing's from another planet. It's not. So we have just have to accept that there are people in this world who get up every day and work on things that if we knew about them, it would blow our minds. But it's certainly not because, you know, of stolen alien technology or anything like that. Okay. I mean, and, and you start going around your everyday life and you think about it. How many things are in your life today that if people had known about them 40 years ago, everybody's mind would have been blown. You know. So this is the way I think about it. Then as far as these videos go and everything, it's the thing I keep saying. In that one video with the little white tic-tac or whatever it looks like that, you know, they have it on their scope and they're tracking it. It's supposedly flying so fast and everything else. Um, the people filming that or videoing that are people who are in charge of the defense of this country. That's why they exist. That's why they're up in those jets flying around or with, with missiles and guns and training and, you know, putting their lives on the line and everything else. Remember what those guys did when they saw that. They were not worried about it. They did not attack it. They did not try to fly after it. They did not alert anybody. Alert anybody. What were they doing? They were laughing. All right. They were laughing. So if they didn't take it seriously as alien technology or anything else, why should we? They certainly know more about any of that stuff than any we, any of us do. It's, it just, you know, this, this talk has gone on and on since ancient times. You know, uh, um, you know, sailors back in the 1400s, 1500s talked about, none of it's ever come true, ever. So I continue to be a skeptic. Uh, let's see what everybody uh, is saying about this. Um, Marty says UFOs, now things are going to get it wild. Uh, Amy, hello everyone, listening from Oklahoma. Been wanting to watch the live. I finally remembered today was Monday. Well, yeah, you got to be a subscriber here, Amy. Hit the little bell button, and when the live show starts, it'll alert you. You got to do that. The real, the world is so populated. If things are crashing, why is it never where well, there's just too many witnesses to keep it quiet? Uh, the real good question. Uh, I'm going to need some proof for sure. Um, I'm with you, Lisa. I'm going to need a lot of proof. The real people apparently see things in the sky everywhere, but they only crash in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. With all this advanced technology, you know, how are these aliens, um, you know, are they really that sloppy? 
Uh, Kathy Rockford, I looked up Dean uh, Mortensen. You mentioned the last money, in my opinion. It's another straightforward case from the articles I read. Don't remember that. Uh, Charlotte, I remember hearing about UFOs over Phoenix years ago. Yeah, and what were they, Charlotte? Just a bunch of jets lined up landing at the Phoenix airport. Yeah. Uh, Lisa just sometimes I wish I liked attention. Hello, Donna. Unfounded is. You're right. You'd see a lot more aliens if you did, Lisa. That's probably why I have so much doubt. Um, I watched this live on my cell phone. Thank you, Lisa. Rockford, Kathy could... Okay, back and forth. Lisa, I'm still angry there aren't flying cars like we were supposed to have according... Yeah, to the Jetsons. Yes, Marty, Back to the Future has let me down multiple times already. Yeah. I just... I'm just... I just don't get excited about all of that at all. You know, I even know for me, uh, as you know, not to brag, but I live right here on the beach on the eighth floor. And so, you know, many times I will go out in my balcony at night, you know, see a lot of stars and everything else. And here's what I know. On those really clear nights, you can look up at the sky And there are things that are in the sky that look like they are flying objects, but they are not. You'd be amazed, like especially recently, you would be amazed how much the planet Venus looks like an incoming jet coming from like the West. Now, the only way you would notice it's not is because it stays in the same position. Of course, it never moves. But from when you're on the balcony and you're looking at the planet Venus off to the west and it's really bright, it looks the same as some jet when the jet finally turns like on its landing lights. They look like the same thing. So I can understand to the untrained eye who doesn't have the view that I do, looks up in the sky and sees Venus says, hey, what is that up there? Is what, That thing's so bright. What is that? And it's not moving. How can that be? That must be a UFO. It's hovering up there. No, it's a planet. It's moving, but a very, 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 you know, uh, slow rate. Of course, it's it's really, really moving fast. But given the vastness of space, it's moving very, very slowly. But to the untrained eye, and it's so bright, it seems like it's maybe only 10,000 feet in the air. Meanwhile, it's millions of miles away. And I've encountered that myself going out there. I'll be out there. I was like, you know, I'll have to get my binoculars out to be able to tell the difference. So this is something that comes to mind uh, regarding this. Uh, Michael says, I just want Mulder to be right. Well, and you should know, um, there was no bigger fan of the X-Files Even though I'm a skeptic, there was no bigger fan of the X-Files in the 1990s. In fact, let me get something for all of you very quickly. Hold on. Just so you think, don't think I'm, you know, I'm lying about this. This is the first picture anybody sees when they walk into my condo. This is the first picture anybody sees. It hangs right there. The door opens. It's hanging right there. And yes, that's authenticated. This has been signed by Jillian Anderson and David Duchovny. All right, I got this as a 
a gift from uh, actually Charlie's mother, my sister Diane, in 1996. And it was gotten at an uh, at a store over at Disney. This is where this came from. This is where this came from. So when I start talking about UFOs and things, and I say that I'm a UFO, uh, uh, the X-Files fan, I'm not lying. You can be a skeptic and still like that show. And so there you go. Just so you know what I'm talking about. This is a fantastic, this is a fantastic gift. Gift. So I've had this for um, 27 years, 27 years, and it is fantastic. So had a lot of time watching that show and, and everything to think about UFOs. And I am, I'm still um, doubtful, 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 doubtful. But I thought the show was very well done. Um, you know, the whole arcing show about the whole black liquid and everything, I think, uh, never really made total sense to me. But the individual episodes and things, and I thought Jillian Anderson and Dave Duchovny were, were perfect. They had great chemistry and everything. Uh, fantastic show. And I do miss it. Although the movies were not good. Um, Rockford says, I don't get excited about it either. I think there's a lot going on in the sky, both natural and man-made. That can be quite confusing. Hello, Patty3. What's going on with you? Good to see you tonight. Kathy, I'm a huge skeptic. I've not believed any UFO stories I've ever heard. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, everything. Um, Nathan Millard, the missing businessman who had a meeting at the... Uh, the police are looking for two prostitutes in connection to his death. Yeah, right, Twinkle. Yeah, um, yeah, really wondered what was going on. Thanks for that update, Twinkle. I remember it. Kind of was off my radar right now. Um, but right, they were I, I still think that he just went he just started to, you know, party hardy and it cost him. So UFOs, uh very doubtful and um but it certainly does get a lot of people's attention. Uh, what do I want to talk about? I want to go back to maybe some unfound stuff. I want to remind you that my, actually my new course, my teachable course on podcasting is now available for purchase. So if you go to how to podcast better than, I'm going to just type it in here. And by the way, I guess um, Sheree didn't make it uh, tonight to be the moderator. Uh, I think she is on vacation, and uh, and that's perfectly fine by me, and I hope she's having a great time. I'm typing the website in the chat right now. Right there. How to podcast better than anyone.teachable.com. The course is now ready. If you'd like to purchase it, if you're thinking about starting your own podcast and you want to do it right from day one, not fumble around and try to figure things out and do this and do that and take advice, free advice on the YouTube or whatever from people who don't even do their own podcast. They just talk about it. They don't actually do it. They're not professionals. 
uh, a professional like I am, you know, I do all my own work and everything else. If you just want to get it out of the way and do it the right way, you got to take this course. You got to. Okay. It's going to save you a lot of time. And I know the course is not cheap, but trust me, it's going to save you a lot of money. I'm telling you, I cannot say this enough. I wish this course existed when I started Unfound back in 2016. I mean, and I talk about that in, in this course. It's almost five hours long of material. And I talk about all the mistakes I made that had I had a course like this. I'm, I, and I, I'm totally serious about this. Given mistakes that I made at the launching on Unfound, these are things that are still costing Unfound to this day. They're just things that you have to get done right at the beginning or it's going to be virtually impossible to um, get them right. That's right, everything. That is what it costs. You're right. You are correct. I know it seems like a lot of money. You just go and check and see uh, what – it's actually a discount compared to – and a lot of other places out there because I've looked. But the good news is that if you take the course, you get uh, free access to me, and I can help you. Once you take the course, you get an email directly to me that is not public that we can – Talk personally, one-on-one, about what you're doing, what you're planning, about anything you want to talk about regarding your podcast, and I can help you this, but you have to buy the course. And I, you, know, and I, I, you know me, I'm a very giving person. I want people to succeed. But I also know that my experience, my knowledge, and everything is worth something. But I'm willing to talk to you one-on-one after you buy the course, and you listen to all of it, you watch what I have to say and, and everything, and and really take your time with it. And after you're done, then we can talk about your specific idea, specific podcast. Because you have to remember, this is a course that is kind of for everybody that wants to. And, and I don't know, you know, it's going to depend on your genre, how much time you have. You know, are you going to be doing interviews and things? That, and there's no way to cover those things in a course like that, it would be too specialized and everything. So I give you like the, the basics, which you absolutely need to have a good podcast. Then after you listen to all that, you take your notes and you do a lot of the, everything, not a lot, but everything that I say in there. And then you can contact me and say, you know what? Now that I got all that, here's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to do a podcast about archaeology. And here are some of my ideas. What do you think? Now, I don't know anything about archaeology necessarily except Indiana Jones. But we can then start to talk about, well, how, how often do you think you want to do an episode? Is this archaeology? You want to do that every week? Surely can't do it every day, every week, every month. What's your plan? You know, what are you thinking and the pluses and minuses and everything else? But you certainly need everything in that course to start. Because if you don't know everything in the course, it doesn't matter about everything else. It doesn't matter what genre you pick if you don't have the basics. 
And uh, as I state in the video, if you go there and there's a free video there that's about three and a half minutes long, you know, I make my pitch. And as I stated earlier in this uh, live show tonight, you all maybe all don't realize it, but I'm one of the very, very few podcasters out there in any genre who's just, you know, just a regular guy who does everything on his own. I have my assistants, love every one of them. But when it comes to actually creating the podcast and everything, that's just me. Uh, there are podcasters out there, not going to mention any names, who never talk to their guests. They just show up. They record their part. It makes it sound like they spoke to the guest, but the host didn't actually do that. Somebody else did. Somebody who's not named did that. Of course, we don't do that here. Uh, I do, of course, edit it, put all the music together. I do all the marketing. I do some of the reaching out, not all of the reaching out. It's very, very rare. And, of course, I don't have any co-hosts either where we can split things up. So all of that knowledge, when you do that for uh, seven years, you know, doing this over and over and over again, uh, 350 some episodes now, I have a lot to say. I have a lot to say because a lot of other podcasters couldn't do this course is because they don't do everything. They can't talk to you about marketing because they don't do their own marketing. They can't talk to you about editing because they don't do their own editing. They can't talk to you about interviewing because they don't even do their own interviews. They can't talk to you about writing an episode because they don't do that either. I'm just telling you, you don't realize that a lot of times your person you're hearing on the podcast is not really who puts it all together. And that is, doesn't even, you know, go for the really, really well-known podcasters out there, people who are already famous and then became podcasters this goes for probably a lot of regular podcasters too. And so that's what I have uh, to offer. You're getting it from somebody who does this you know, every day and has to do it. If I don't do it, it doesn't get done. So you watch that video uh, when you go to that link that I already typed out there. And... Um, You'll see my uh, pitch, like I said, over three and a half minutes. And that was actually filmed, uh, videoed down in the library uh, of this building. It's a little room with a bunch of books and, and everything. Very comfortable room. And I've, I did all of the videoing uh, for this, that course in that little room down there late at night. So when everybody's gone to bed... And it's really quiet in this building. Like at midnight, I've been going down there and videoing at night. That's what I do. <laughs> That's why I don't have a social life. So there you go. Um, so yes, uh, uh, Marty, very, thank you, Marty. Um, yeah, I mean, certainly how to podcast better than anyone is a another good marketing tool for the podcast. But really, it's supposed to just you know, stand on its own. Um, I'm not doubting that there will be some people who see it and what is this unfound? You know, they might not be into true crime or disappearances, but they, they're they looking to start a podcast. They come across it and see me and I talk about my podcast and they say, well, I 
I think I better go check this podcast out and see how it sounds and everything. Um, certainly, but really the course uh, is, you know, just supposed to stand on its own. But uh, yes, um, um, let's see, got you uh, talking baseball, Cincinnati Reds. Uh, the real says, I think a lot of podcasters don't have a thorough enough understanding of the topic they cover to go off script. Uh, I talk about, you know, funny, the thing, funny thing is real. I actually talk about in the, that in the course that I have to admit that one of the, um, One of the chapters I talk about, one of the advantages that I think I had in starting Unfound, there were a lot of disadvantages that I had too. But one of the advantages that I've had, maybe you notice it in this live show, is I can really just talk off the top of my head. I read some articles in here, but you know, after I read an article, for example, about UFOs, I just have a few notes and then I can just talk about the rest of it. Most people can't do that, but the reason I can do it is because of uh, some acting training, some improv training, a lot of things put together that a lot of people don't have. And I talk about that in the pod, in the course, and how you might be able to get around that. And do you necessarily need to do that? Do you, you know, what is it going to take if you need to do things like that? That's in the course. Uh, I've, I'm not going to read that Rockford, but, uh, I can't argue with that. Lisa Joe, what's my excuse for no social life then? I don't know, Lisa Joe. I don't know you well enough. Uh, like involves more than people, uh, world series. Uh, Lisa, I've listened to the podcast about your sister that was covered in death and I'm so sorry. She is still missing. Thank you. Uh, MT, MT coming in. MT, where you been? Good to see you. I don't, I, I think you just maybe have just been, uh, lurking in the background. Good to see, uh, you MT. I'm so excited for you, Ed, that your teachable course is done. I have zero interest in doing a podcast, but know a couple people who might be interested will pass this on to them. Thank you, MT. I appreciate it. And I did use, uh, some of the nice reviews that people have written on the Facebook page on, you know, for Unfound as little quotes there that you will find at that link as well. I'm going to write the link again. So, but I do have some of those quotes. Of course, I have many, many great reviews. Of course, the funny part is in the course, I talk about reviews and I'm not going to get into that, but, um, I do talk about when you start out and reviews start coming in and everything. Like I said, it's a very comprehensive course, almost five hours of material going everything from looking at you, the person who's thinking about doing this and the commitment that you need the whole way to the end where we talk about making money and Patreon and, and everything else and everything in between. Uh, it's not really a technical. I don't get into the nuts and bolts of how to use GarageBand and everything because you could do that, but you know, a lot of people might not get an Apple computer. A lot of people might use their phone. A lot of people might, but I just talk about the basics of recording and what is considered good recording and, and that. So there you go. Moving on. So once again, how to podcast. 
better than anyone. And hello, Veronica. What's going on with you? Uh, got 15 minutes left, Veronica, but good to see you. Uh, I wanted to remind everybody, I saw this, that it was actually Jody Hoosentrude's birthday today. June 5th is her birthday. I forget how old she would be now. I'm guessing into, you know, the thing is, I think she's right. She'd be right around my age. I think she was what? She was around 25 years old in 1995 when she went missing. So that's the year. She might be early 50s or something now. But her birthday is today, June 5th. Also, uh, be looking for a new, um, of course, it's already out for Patreon people and YouTube members. Within the next couple of days, be looking for the newest Unfound Now episode. Uh, I I talk about the disappearance, the recent disappearance of Shauna Rayleigh Halford, who went missing from New Orleans, Louisiana, just a couple months ago. So maybe you uh, will check that out when it is made public for all of you here. Um, Marty is leaving us. Marty, good to see you tonight. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you. Um, for all your support of Unfound. Good to see you tonight. Um, good effort on Helfer. I listened to, I'll be following up on that one. Okay, thank you for listening, Rockford. Um, let's go. Um, Sonic Boom. I want to talk about this Sonic Boom, and I think that'll be it for tonight. Kind of make you put this in a little bit of layman's terms for everybody. Federal investigators on Monday hope to begin unraveling the mystery of a private plane that made a U-turn over Long Island and flew hundreds of miles off its flight path Sunday, prompting F-16 fighters to scramble at supersonic speed to intercept the jet before it crashed in a Virginia forest. The plane's wayward travel included restricted, restricted air play, uh, airspace over the nation's capital. 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 A sonic boom from one of the pursuing jets startled residents across Washington and parts of Maryland and Virginia as the fighters shadowed the unresponsive plane, firing off flares in an ill-fated effort to gain the pilot's attention. It's not clear why the plane veered off course. The loss of cabin pressure, which could render the pilot and passengers unconscious, was a possibility. The FAA sent a statement the plane crashed into the mountainous terrain near rural Montebello in southwest Virginia around 3.30 p.m. No survivors were found. The NTSB will lead the investigation into the crash, the statement said. So uh, I'm not going to read the entire article. So um, what happened was uh, yesterday this jet took off from Tennessee. And on board were the pilot and the daughter of the owner of the, the jet the granddaughter of the owner of the jet and the nanny. So there were four people on board, one pilot, three passengers, and they were flying back from a trip, like a vacation or something, uh, back to uh, New York. They were going to land in Islip, New York, which is out there on Long Island, east of New York City. And flew up in a kind of northeast direction, kind of then went south of Atlantic City, out over the Atlantic Ocean, and seemed to be right on course 
Then strangely, when it got to about the place where it was supposed to land, it made a complete U-turn and started going back on the exact direction, not on the same path. But if you look at the line, um, and they have done you know charts on this, it looked like it was going straight back toward the, the airport where it took off from in Tennessee, but taking a different route. And that route took it over Washington, D.C. And if you don't know, uh, the area over Washington, D.C. is restricted airspace. Um, we, we know that, of course, for, from 9-11. We do this for you know terrorist reasons and everything else. And this just isn't for... Um, you know, like a jet plane like this, but this is for anything, for helicopters, for regular private little Cessna two-seater planes or conventional airliners. You just can't, you have to stay out of this certain area. Nobody is allowed. And so what happened was this plane straight into that area, these jets got caught up and in an effort to track it down, and it was flying at 35 some thousand feet, that's way up there. It's five miles in the air or seven miles in the air. And not knowing what the intentions were of the jet. Of course, these F-16s, F-18s uh, have to go supersonic. They get up there. They're trying to get the pilot's attention. and But the plane's not deviating and everything else. And then uh, finally what happens, they did not shoot it down, but it just ran out of gas. And once it did... It spiraled down and crashed. Now, for me, uh, I automatically think there's two actually plane crashes that are like this. First of all, most well-known in the United States is Payne Stewart. Also a private plane, took off from here in Florida, was headed to Texas, and something happened very early in the flight that everybody became unconscious. And instead of it going toward Texas, it continued to go in a north direction and it ended up crashing in one of the Dakotas, South or North Dakota, out in the field. It ran out of gas, spiraled down, dead. And the determination, they eventually, the best they could do in trying to figure out was that the plane itself had some kind of leak. So I think all of us here have flown on a jet, a prior, or a, you know, a conventional jet, a 737 Southwest, Spirit, American Airlines, whatever. And you know that the, the air is pressurized. We can't breathe as humans at 35,000 feet. So what happens is when you get in and they shut the door, it seals it off. And then as, as the plane climbs to 8,000, 10,000 feet, the air is pressurized. And what happens is when you're in an airline in a jet, it's not atmospheric pressure at zero altitude. It's actually at about 10,000 feet. So the air you're breathing in there is not pressurized for zero feet above sea level, zero. It's actually 10,000 feet, but that's still at an altitude where it's enough oxygen. You know, everybody can, you know, uh, think and everything else. But what can happen, and this is what happened in a, in a, uh, a jet liner, a 737 over in Europe. I think it was Helios Air where there was a problem or somebody made a mistake. And what can happen is if the door isn't tight or there's some um, problem, the pressurized air can leak, can leak out. It can leak. No different than, um, 
you know, anything, and you put liquid in a bottle or a can or something, and it has a hole in it, eventually the water or whatever is going to leak out. No different than in an airplane. And that pressurized air goes out. And before you know it, everybody's breathing air at 35,000 feet than instead at 10,000 feet. And what you all have to understand is this can happen very quickly. Very, very quickly. In fact, there's uh, YouTube videos showing like um, naval aviators and army pilots, Air Force pilots. That's part of their testing, that they go into this room and, um, you know, the, the air is depressurized and you see how quickly they get knocked out, how quickly they be able not to be able to do things. It's seconds. It's not a minute. It's like eight seconds or something. Now, of course, there are warnings and everything on these jets, but that's not foolproof either. So this is, I guess, what could have happened here. Um, what is strange? Here's now what I also learned in in reading some things is this didn't happen like right where they got near to New York. It's obvious that very early on, just like with Payne Stewart's plane, that this happened very early on in the flight, within the first forty minutes of the flight, and that's very much like Payne Stewart's flight. Very, very much like that. That it was not in the air that long before air traffic control lost contact with the pilots pilots there too. Now, of course, you know, there's oxygen. We know the, the stuff that's the flight attendants tell, you know, we lose pressure. These things will drop down. Well, private jets have that too. But once again, it's not always foolproof. And for the pilots, if there is a warning, they only have so many seconds to get their masks on and everything. And if they don't do that in that amount of time, it's not going to be good. And the other tragic thing about this is that even if you came across a plane that was like that and say they could do some kind of Mission Impossible thing where they could like rope down from one plane to the other and get inside it. Uh, when there was still enough jet fuel that it was still cruising at whatever speed, even if you could do that, everybody is still dead. Because once you get knocked out, you're going to die of suffocation anyway, very quickly. You get knocked out first and then you die. So even if they were to be able to get into this plane, like before it crashed yesterday, everybody's probably dead anyway. Very, very sad. Now, what catches my eye, no, eye though is that. I'm surprised this jet only had one pilot. Um, I've never flown on a private plane, unfortunately, but I always get the idea with private jets like the one that here, it has two front seats for a pilot and co-pilot. Maybe if this jet had had two pilots, this could have been avoided that one pilot might've noticed something wasn't right. Unfortunately, we also have to be open to the idea until they can, you know, really get to the bottom of this. What's even scarier, it could be with only one pilot on board. What if that pilot had a heart attack? And those passengers, you know, and maybe he's locked in the cockpit or something and, and, and deceased. 
and they're stuck back. I mean, I'm not here to be morbid or anything, but it's, it's a possibility that they're stuck back in the passenger compartment of this plane and can't get into the cockpit or radio anybody or anything else. And this plane's just kind of doing what it wants. So that is how quickly it can happen. It can happen in less than 10 seconds, eventual death. Um, now, as far as the sonic boom goes, if you don't know what a sonic boom, and, uh, and then I'll finish up for tonight. A sonic boom, even though if you've ever heard one before, it's not something that just occurs when, the, when a jet passes through into supersonic speed. It's actually a continuous sound, but you only hear it for a second because the sound is moving. You know, it's boom, 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 and then it moves, and somebody like a mile down will then hear it, and then a mile after that, then a mile after that, and a mile after that. It's just not something that occurs right at the point that a plane goes into supersonic, like Mach 1. But what you're hearing there with, with supersonic speed, what you're hearing, what a sonic boom actually is, is air um, like going back to regular pressure. Because what happens is the plane is moving so fast that it's actually compressing the air in front of it, front of it, front of it, front of it, front of it. And then at some point it gets going so fast that it breaks through that barrier and you're continuously hearing all of that air smacking back together as it loosens up again. It's no different than me clapping my hands is that you got low pressure behind the jet. You got hair high pressure in front of it because of how it's flying. And then the jet flies through that section of air. It gets compressed and then gets loosened again after the jet moves through it. And it's a continuous motion. And that's what you're hearing. That is what a sonic boom is. And they had real problems with that back in the 1950s or late 40s when they were trying to get through it. Because it can't. It could be very damaging to jets. Killed a lot of test pilots. And then they figured out that the jets needed to be made in a certain way uh, to avoid that. They had to be crafted and curved and everything in a, some, in a certain way to... Because the sonic boom can destroy airplanes. That's how powerful it is. And then, of course, we know Chuck Yeager was the first guy to fly through the speed of sound. They finally figured it out. So that is the sonic. That's this crash that happened. And one more thing. The reason it had probably turned around like it did, even though the pilot was incapacitated, is it's on a computer program. And what the plane is expecting on its computer is once you get near its landing point, the plane is expecting the pilot to make new inputs on, you know, landing up there. Of course, the pilot couldn't do that. And from what I've seen, you know, reading some experts on that, it very well could be that the plane defaulted to a pre-program that when the pilot didn't do anything, the plane itself, its own computer, just decided to make a U-turn to go back toward the, the, the prior airport. It very well could be the computer just did that on its own when it didn't get any other inputs from the pilot, of course, probably because the pilot was dead. So that's why it made that U-turn like it did. It got to its last point, didn't know what to do, and it kind of just defaulted. I guess we'll just go back to Tennessee. And, of course, it didn't have enough. Uh, who knows what, what it would have done uh, had it got back to Tennessee? I don't know, but it ran out of fuel before that. <clears throat> 
Uh, see you, Charlotte. I live on the West Coast. Usually only get to listen to the last half of the live show, but catch up when I missed on Tuesday. Okay, MT. Uh, super excited for, yeah, Melinda and Suzanne this week, Friday's guests. Yeah, Kathy, Painster of South Dakota. Thank you, everything. My worst fear. Veronica says rock for me, too, sometimes. Depressurization can actually be explosive, extremely violent. It can be. You'd actually prefer that. At least then you know something's wrong, but it's that slow depressurization that's the killer, right? All right, let's get to this Friday. Speaking of, like I was saying earlier, old disappearances. August 31st, 1976, Patricia Otto goes missing from Lewiston, Idaho. August 31st, 1976, the guest will be her daughter, Suzanne Timms, and a researcher who has been helping Suzanne for the last couple years. Her name is Melinda Jetterberg. The interview was done on Zoom. And this is not one of those disappearances where there's going to be a lot of mystery to it. But if you can believe it, we are going, although I, you know, really not sure how much of a, a role it plays in the overall disappearance and how to solve it or anything. But in this episode, you're going to hear the single most craziest coincidence in the history of unfound. Now that's saying something. I mean, considering like Eric Franks's car and Pine Gregory coming across Tom Brown's remains, I'm telling you, there is a coincidence in this disappearance that completely blows those away. It is going to boggle your mind. The title for this episode is, is called The Remains of Destiny. And that title will make a lot of uh, sense once you hear the entire interview. And I can also say that this Disappearance is going to remind you a lot of the disappearance of Ronald McNutt, although there's not any foul play considered in Ronald McNutt's uh, disappearance. Um, you'll see what I mean uh, when you listen to the episode. It's going to remind you of Ronald McNutt and his disappearance. So that's all I have for tonight. Spectacular show. Thank you all for the great comments. A lot of talk in the chat tonight. I loved it. And uh, that's all I have to say for tonight. Uh, for any of you mystic, go back and go from the beginning, or you can um, listen to it as a podcast, just audio tomorrow. Whatever you want to do is fine with me. Everybody keep your heads on swivels, and you'll see and hear me if you want to see me here on YouTube or you just listen on iTunes or wherever on Friday. And don't forget, 11 a.m. tomorrow, I'll be on kltz.com uh, uh, talking about the disappearance of Barbara Cotton. Good night, everybody.